2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 15. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accordance with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labour, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work... Let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person. And have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Right. well, there's, there's really two topics today. Work and accountability. A young man was having a job interview, and it was all going very well, and, and they actually offered him the job. They said, look, um, we're going to offer you the job, and we're going to pay you $1,000 a week, and in six months' time, it'll go up to $1,200. And the young man thought about it for a moment and went, hmm, I'll start in six months' time. Work. So, some people are addicted to their work. A- and work becomes their life and, and it becomes their passion. It, it's what defines them. And some even see their addiction to work as being a badge of honour. Um, but it's not. And I'm going to be really blunt and say that anyone who is addicted to their work, they're not giving their best to God. Um, It's become quite trendy in the Christian church to label all sorts of things as addictions instead of calling them what they actually are, sin. Um, So, and the reason that we do this is it's not so offensive because people, we, our society now, we have an understanding that an addiction is a disease, right? So it's not my fault. I have this addiction that, that I need to work through. So at one time, we used to call it drunkenness. Now we call it alcoholism. Uh, we used to call it adultery or fornication or perverseness. Now we call it a sexual addiction or a pornography addiction. We used to refer it to... La- refer to it as laziness or somebody who lacked any get up and go or self-direction now we say oh they have a gaming addiction we used to call it gossip now we say they have a social media addiction and and when it comes to work we might call it being addicted to work but there's sin at play here that what's driving this what we call an addiction to work It can either be something like greed, where we just want more and more and more, so we work more and more and more, 
or it could be a means of, of escaping our other responsibilities or escaping having to, to actually deal with real relationships with people, maybe in our own homes. And it's like, oh, sorry, I, 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 it's just easier to go to work than, than to deal with these relationships that we need to deal with. Or our addiction to work could really be seeking glory for oneself. I'm going to build up this what I have and, and it's in essence, it's for our own glory. Now, all of these things are sin. And letting our work consume us is sin because we're not living our life for Jesus. We're living it for work. Now, having said that, I just wanted to put that in place so that we don't go too far towards thinking work's a great thing. Well, because today's topic isn't about giving work the place of dominance in our life and how bad that is. In fact, the message is quite the opposite. While some people will let their work dominate them, others see work as a sometimes necessary evil. But then again, living in a welfare state like what Australia is, some will go even further and realise that, well, work is something I never have to do. And sadly, there are now generations of family lines who have never worked a day in their life. Mum and dad don't have a job and they're living on the dole and they're just continuing on from what their parents did. Their parents never had a job and now, but they're not on the dole anymore because they're now on the age pension. And their kids, while they do go to school, they don't really do much work at school because they don't have any ambition and, and they've, they've ha never had the example set to them of the ethic of work. And so when we know that when they leave school, most of these will probably fall into the same pattern that their parents and grandparents had. And if they do happen to get a job, it'd be a very low paying job, a very low skilled job because they haven't put in the work at school. Now, for me to say something like that, there might be some of you going, Oh, you're judgmental, Michael. Well, yeah, I am being judgmental because work isn't an option. Work is a commandment. Now, I don't, I don't seem to come across this as much as what I used to. I don't know whether it's just because I move in different circles or whether things have changed, but in one of my previous jobs, um, a number of my colleagues were planning for, for a very early retirement. And I remember one particular young fella, he would have only been in his mid-twenties, and he had his whole life mapped out before him. And even at that stage, he must have had nearly a dozen rental houses. Um, didn't own a single one of them. He just kept borrowing more and more money and pay off enough and, 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 and just kept, this was before the global financial crisis when, when you actually could do this sort of thing. And his plan was to retire before he got to 50. And that way he reckoned he could just sit back and relax. He wouldn't have to work. He could, he could enjoy his retirement while he was still young enough to do so. Now, I don't know how all that worked out for him because I've, I've lost touch with him over the years, um, but he would probably be over 50 by now. I, I don't know whether that worked out for him. But for many, retirement is the goal, right? Retirement is the pinnacle. This is what we're aiming for. This is what we're wanting for. 
and I'm seeing Mrs. Lee over there smiling, an accountant. You've probably got a number of clients who, are, who have been aiming this for their whole life. Yes? No? Yes? Okay, so, so many are aiming for retirement. I only just have to work to get me to the spot where I'll never have to work again. Now, but what is this retirement business? Let, let's think about it. You, if you don't start work till you're 18, although some people mightn't start work till their early 20s, and then they retire at 65, although some might retire at 60 or earlier, well, that's 47 years work. If you live until you're 80, which most people will, that's 15 years of retirement. But more and more, I'm thinking the majority of people now are gonna to live to at least 90. So that would be 25 years of retirement, which gives a total of 47 years of work and 43 years of not working. And if we sort of stretch out when we start and bring back when we finish, we very quickly end up working for less than half our lives. We are becoming a society who, who feel that it's our right to not work. Work. How should a disciple of Jesus approach the topic of work? Verse 6, Paul says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who does this. Wow, what sin is so bad that, that he not only commands us, he commands us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He brings, as an apostle, he brings the full bearing of the authority of Jesus to this. I am commanding you in the name of Jesus to have nothing to do with any brother, right? Let's get, get this clear. He's meaning shun them, right? Don't mix with them. This has got to be pretty bad, hasn't it? This has got to be the most obscene thing that you could do in the church if they do what? Laziness. Idleness. The, the Greek word actually means disorderly or out of ranks if you were using it in a military term. But basically what he's saying, he's talking about people who will not work. They don't provide for themselves and they were, they were relying on the charity of other Christians to, to feed them. And Paul is so blunt, he says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That would be a very simple government policy, wouldn't it? If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. And guess what? We brought in the work for dull thing. And how popular was that? The human rights people jump up and down about it. You can't make people work. That's terrible. Being a Christian, being saved from our sin, doesn't mean that we're saved from having to work. Strangely enough, some people have the attitude that, that work is something that we only have to do because it's a consequence of sin. And they go back to the Garden of Eden when, when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Right? And, and part of the curse of sin would be pain. The pain for Eve was going to be childbirth. Good luck with that, Ellen. <laughs> what was the pain for Adam? Thorns and thistles. God said to Adam, thorns and thistles are going to grow from now on. 
Now, I've had my fair share of chipping thorns and thistles and spraying them and ploughing them. Um, I've also known the pain of them. I, I think back on this and, and I really do need to apologise to some of my previous ministers because when I was a young fella doing a fair bit of sheep work, Sunday morning during the sermon, I would open my wallet, pull out my specially sharpened needle and during the sermon was when I would dig the burrs out of my hands that I'd acquired during the week's sheep work. And I, I can only think now, what, what did my ministers used to think? That, think I was so distracted, I would dig out burrs instead of listening. But I, but I was listening to the sermon. I was. Honest. True. And so some people feel that because in Jesus we've been set free from our sin, we're set free from the need to work. Others also spiritualise it and say, well, I don't, I don't work because it's not worth it. I, I can get by and Jesus is coming back soon, so I don't need to work. Others feel I've had my turn at working. I worked hard when I was a young fella, so I can, I can just do the things that I enjoy doing now and, and at other people, it's their turn to work. But the thing is, do you realise God created us to work? He designed us as beings who would work. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, which is just after Adam is created and before the fall, it says this, Yahweh God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Look at that. He created Adam as a gardener to work the garden, to keep the garden. He created man to work. And yet, when, often when we talk about work in the church, usually the first message that comes across is the first message that I gave this morning. Don't work too hard. Don't make work your God. Don't, right? Don't get addicted to work because that's sin. And then we might talk about the Sabbath. And what do we say? Don't work on a Saturday. Or we might Christianise it and say, don't work on a Sunday. But in the Old Testament scriptures, over and over and over again, when it's talking about the Sabbath, it says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In ploughing time and in harvest you shall rest. Work was so important that, that Paul himself worked a paying job as well as preaching the gospel. Now, there's been a season that, that I've done that, and it's not easy. He, he worked not because he needed to, but because he wanted to give them an example. Jesus himself had taught that the preacher doesn't need to fend for himself. And he'd told his disciples, when, when you go out preaching, don't take your own provisions. The labourer deserves his food. What Jesus was saying is, is the preacher is worth his wages. And Paul knew this. In other letters that he wrote, Paul said things like, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, 
You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Right? So as a preacher, Paul knew that he had every right to receive payment for the work that he was doing preaching the gospel. But when he visited Thessalonica, he did forego that right. Why? As an example. Let me give you an example of an example. So most of you know, I used to be an instructor at, at the Dolby Ag College. And the subject that I oversaw most of the time was what we called farm routine. Right? So the way the college was structured is, is there would be theory subjects where the students would be in the classroom learning theory. Then there were practical subjects where there were structured practical lessons. So they might all, might all go into the workshop and, and pull down an engine each and learn how to rebuild it. And so they were the practical lessons. But then there was what we called routine. And routine was where you had to do the work that required to be done on the farm on that day. So we had quite a decent sized farm for that area and um, it had to be kept running. So it was sort of like an on-college work experience and that was the section that I worked in most of the time. And so the student would happen to be doing whatever really needed to be doing done on the farm that day. So it was a bit, bit of the luck of the draw. And so if it was wet, wet, rainy weather, you'd probably find yourself in a shed hard-facing points or something like that. Or if there was planting to be done, some of the students might be on a truck you know, carting seed and fertiliser to other students who are on tractors planting and then they might swap after a day or two and have a, have a, have a different bit of experience. If there's earthworks to be done, you might be on a dozer or on a laser bucket or something like that. But if there were weeds that needed chipping, guess who did the chipping of the weeds? The students. Now, for me as an instructor, if I was teaching someone to plough a paddock, I would stay with them long enough to be assured that they're quite competent at this, they're not going to break anything, they're not going to kill themselves, they're not going to run over anyone, they're not going to drive through a fence, and I could leave them there. And they could call me on the two-way if they had trouble. I'd go and check on them every couple of hours, take them smoko. If we were busy, I'd drive it while they had lunch or whatever. And so we could leave them to their own devices. But when there was a job like needing to chip stramonium, I would have to work with them. Why? I mean, it's, it's a safe job. It's not like they're going to hurt themselves. It's not like there's a lot of learning involved. It's not like there's any secret process to chipping well. The reason I had to chip with them was as an example. And you know what? Some of them would follow that example and others would not. Now, as an instructor, I had every right to just drop them at the paddock and say, chip those weeds and drive away and go and do something else catch up on some administration or something. But if I did that, I knew that very little chipping would get done. And so I would take a hoe myself and set the pace. 
and have an occasional break and let them have a break at the same time, but most of the time, just keep plugging on. Now, every one of those students was younger and fitter than what I was, and so most of them understood that if we can't keep up with Mr Brumpton, then that's going to be a bit embarrassing. And not many of them could. Some did keep up with me, but not many. See, the thing is, even though I was leading by example, some of the young lads had a real sense of entitlement. I don't need to be doing this. I came here to learn. We're paying good money to be here at this college. They weren't really. But we're, we're here to learn, and, and you, can't, you can't just make us chip weeds. Well, yeah, part of learning is learning how to work and learning that when work needs to be done, no task is too menial. And so Paul was doing with these Thessalonians like what I was doing with the Stramonian chippers. Being, being an example to imitate. And for us as parents, it's really important that our children observe us not being idle and that we instill into our own children from an early age a work ethic. Robin was really good at that. I, I, I think from the time our kids started going to school, they. She taught them once how to make their own lunches, and they did for their whole lives, make their own lunch to go to school. It's important for us to teach our children a work ethic. But what about if a person doesn't need to work? So a person might have an investment or several investments that makes it so they can just live off those investments. It provides for all of their financial needs without them lifting a finger. Do they need to work? What about a person who cannot find a job? There might be some very rare times when there's no work available. But I'm going to say that is extremely rare. And in my lifetime, in our country, I'm pretty certain that anyone who genuinely is prepared to work will find work. They may have to move their family to another location where there is a job. They may have to change their choice of career. They may have to do work that they feel is beneath them and beneath their ambitions. But there are plenty of jobs available if somebody is prepared to do them. But even so, the issue here is twofold. Yeah, working is about providing for your own needs and providing for the needs of your family. But the other part is about doing what God has created us to do. Work. It's about not being idle. God didn't create us to be idle. And so... If you have the means so that you don't need to work, work for free. That's what we call volunteering. If you are genuinely unemployed, volunteer for some kind of work experience where you can go and work for free and get the experience that will make you employable. 
in verse 11, Paul says this, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. That's probably where our grandparents got the saying, uh, idle hands are the workers of the devil, you know? Right? You've all had, heard that saying? No? Yes, some have. Andrew hasn't. <laughs> no, they would never find a need to say it to you, Andrew. <laughs> Basically, what Paul's saying is when we are not busy at God's work, and, and whether, it's, whether it's earning a living or whether it's kingdom work or gospel work, when we've got way too much idle time on our hands, that's when we start sticking our nose in where it's not doesn't belong and start causing trouble where our noses shouldn't be. Some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Do you know where I've been seeing this play out lately? Conspiracies. Some people obviously have way too much time on their hands. During the enforced COVID lockdowns, was that a year or two years ago? I don't know, it just seems to go on and on. But multitudes of people were thrust out of work and into isolation and into idleness. They weren't busy at work and many became busybodies, gossiping like a busybody does. And even people who do do the work of, a, of an evening after they've finished their day job, rather than busying themselves in, in God-glorifying work, and instead of busying themselves in the sharing of the gospel, some become busybodies, idle hands. Now, in our society, it's not difficult to notice how idleness leads to all sorts of mischief. Um, break and enters, domestic violence, uh, drunkenness, drug abuse. Uh, we see our local councils and the state governments all the time putting in programs to try and keep people not being idle. Um, we, we, that's why we have playgrounds, that's why we have skate parks, that's why we have sporting facilities and stuff, stopping people from being idle and, uh, and the hope is to try and cut down some of these things. But think of things like some of the serial protesters that we see on the news all the time. Greenies chaining themselves to bulldozers. Animal activists opening the gates of feedlots. Extinction Rebellion supergluing themselves to busy roads to stop people who do have real jobs getting to their jobs. All right? On a macro scale, it's obvious to see idleness leading to disorderly meddling and mischief in other people's lives. And it's really easy for us to, to look outside and go, oh, yeah. But when you and I hear the word of God being preached, the way of a Pharisee is to go, yeah, those godless sinners, look how bad they are. But the way of a disciple of Jesus is to let the word of God challenge us ourselves in our own lives. 
The second theme of this passage is about accountability. As disciples of Jesus, because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't treat one another as enemies. We love one another. And we love one another enough to hold one another accountable. If any of us are idle, if you know another Christian who will not work, take him to task over it. By the way, work is much bigger than paid employment. The stay-at-home mum or the stay-at-home dad who's working in the home and caring for the kids, they're working, doing the Lord's work. They are not idle. Retirees who serve in the church or, or, or who purposely visit other people to, to engage with them in the Lord, they're not idle. Nor are we talking about the sick and the infirmed who are unable to work. Paul is talking about those who are quite able to work but choose to be idle. And in this, we are to hold one another accountable. And this is completely in line with what Jesus taught. Remember, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, just you and him. And if he listens to you, if he repents of that sin, woohoo, all fixed. But if he doesn't listen, then come back with another couple of people, a couple of witnesses, and confront him about it again. And if he still won't listen, tell the whole church. And if he still won't repent, have nothing to do with him. Don't mix with him. Shun him. And the purpose for shunning someone is so that they might be ashamed. Verse 15 sets all this in context for us. It says, Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Do, do we understand this? What Jesus taught and what Paul is teaching us again is that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ by holding them accountable. And sometimes when our brothers and sisters in Christ, whom we love, are unrepentant of their sin, such that it makes Jesus look bad, as idleness does, sometimes... We have to break fellowship with them so that they will be ashamed and hopefully return to righteousness. Right. So it's all very good and nice to learn this stuff. How do we apply it? Well, the application in, in this case, it's, it's really easy to work out because the Bible is very clear on the application of this passage. Obviously, if I am someone who's given to idleness, work. Work for a living. Work at building the kingdom of God. Work at loving Jesus and loving your brother. Don't let work become your master. But work because God has created us not to be idle. Secondly, Paul says, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. 
In the Gospel of John, Jesus teaches us about how he's always going about doing the Father's business. And he tells us that, that the Father is always at work and that he got involved in the Father's work. Let, let's us do the same. Let us not grow weary of doing the same thing, getting involved in the, God's good work. God is always at work around us now. And he's calling us to get involved in that work with him. Thirdly, part of God's work is to hold our brothers and sisters in Christ accountable. Correct, rebuke, encourage. Don't mix with them if necessary. And fourthly, verse 12 says, Now such persons, talking about the idol, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Quiet workers, that's what God loves. When we work, go quietly about our work. It's not a big show. It's not a competition about how many hours you can work in a day and, oh, you're not much of a worker, only working 16 hours a day, I do 16 and a half. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not about that. It's not a, about how much money you can make in your job. It's not about how esteemed I am in the community. Work quietly to earn your own living. And of course, once you've earned enough, once we've earned enough for our daily bread, we can afford to be generous. We can afford to be generous with our time. We can afford to be generous with what God has given us. Let's not tire of doing good. That's what God has designed us for. And in Christ, we can serve him with great joy. Accountability and godly work are characteristics of disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way you've created us to not be idle, but to work. And we thank you that, that you provide for us. Lord, help us to live as good examples, not being idle, but serving you. Serving you in our homes, serving you in our families, serving you in our workplace and as volunteers in the community, serving you by giving of our time in the service of others and as we care for the sick, serving you as we comfort the brokenhearted and pray for the broken. Lord, we know that you are always at work. Help us to recognise that work and join you in your work. In Jesus' name, amen.